Well, good morning, church. I hope trust you are all well. And uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to First Kings, and uh, we're going to be looking at the next uh, part of our series, looking at Old Testament characters. And uh, my name is Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park Church. And I have particular responsibility for one of our campuses, the South Campus. Uh, in the mission there, and uh, they will be starting in a, a little while, and then as soon as I finish preaching here, you'll see me uh, commando roll out of the sanctuary into my car and drive over there. So uh, that's the kind of rhythm that we have going through the summer. I'm, I'm really enjoying going through this series because what we tend to do with these Old Testament characters is we forget that it, they're part of a bigger picture, and the bigger picture is that the Old Testament points towards Jesus and the New Testament uh, expands on that, the story of Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to look at a scripture that has particular, quite famous scripture, I guess, connected to each of these characters. So I spoke on Jacob, and it was Jacob wrestling with God. And then uh, last time I spoke about Moses and the classic story of Moses and the burning bush. And so this week we're going to look at a particular story uh, from 1 Kings 3 that is really uh, particular to King Solomon. King Solomon was the uh, favored son of David, and, uh, and this is an interesting story. I will guarantee you, those of you who have been in church uh, a long time may struggle to hear when this passage was last preached on, and yet I have vague memories of being in Sunday school, and this was quite a popular passage, although the first verse I'm going to read to you, it seems quite strange that this would be popular. So let's uh, turn to 1 Kings 3 and verse 16, and we're going to jump right in. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Let's just stop there. How many of you remember that from Sunday school? I don't remember that. I think I would have remembered it, but I don't remember that. It's interesting because I think we actually forget that it was two prostitutes in this story. We just think it's two mums, and it is two mums, but that has particular reference that will come up uh, in a little while. Verse 17, the one woman said, oh my Lord, this woman I live, and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. Verse 19, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she rose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. And when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. Verse 22, but the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. And the first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. See, King Solomon was well known for his wisdom. He was given a choice and he, he asked God for wisdom. And I think if we were honest, that that probably wouldn't be the top of our list of things to ask for if we knew we were going to get something from God. I wonder if we were just kind of switch our oh-so-spiritual minds off for a second. I wonder whether we would really ask for wisdom or other things of a more pressing matter might come to mind, like, mm, it'd be kind of nice for my mortgage to be paid off or... You know, I really want to go to Fiji or, you know, these kind of things. But Solomon asked for wisdom and then we have this story of 
a, at a clear and apparent time when Solomon really needs wisdom. This morning's message, I was going to call it uh, a word to the not so wise. Um, because if there was ever a time when we needed wisdom, it is in our present culture and generation. We are having myriad of decisions to make constantly, every day, as to which way to go. Maybe it's how we should parent. Maybe it's who we should, uh, who, what job we should take, or who we should employ, or how we should respond to a certain situation, or what we should say, or more preferably, what we shouldn't say. That we just have these constant need for deep wisdom. Now, Solomon is faced with a situation that is very unique, and yet, as we read through this scripture, as I've always already said, this scripture shows us some principles about wisdom, but it also points to us, uh, it points towards the gospel and Jesus Christ. Now, you might go, well, hang on a second, how is this pointing to Jesus Christ and the gospel? Well, I can assure you it does, because every scripture is God-breathed. Every scripture points towards the gospel in some way, and that's how we should be reading our Old Testament as well as the New Testament. But this idea of getting wisdom from a higher power is so important in our age. And we don't have this kind of ever-present audible voice directing us in the way that we should go. Many years ago, and I've already shared a story connected with a, a particular place that I used to work when I was about 19 called Kimmel Hall. For those of you who come regularly, it was that story of the, the water coming out of the tennis court. How many of you remember that? Wow, you just encouraged me so much. <laughs> just blank looks. No, I can barely remember who you are, never mind what you say. <laughs> You're forgiven, none taken. Well, you can, you can listen back to it. Those of you who do perhaps remember and are not so kind of charismatic to put your hand up, it was the one that didn't end so well for me. It had something to do with raw sewage. Do you remember that story now? Yes, ah, now I remember. Well, same place, and uh, things were just constantly going wrong with this particular large house. For those of you who didn't hear the story, this conference center slept uh, up to 1,000 people. It's a huge place. And uh, I had the joy of visiting it again uh, about a year ago, and it was kind of fun. It's, it's kind of going derelict now, which is kind of sad. But there was this particular time when we were trying to fix a, uh, an issue that was happened up in one of the upstairs bathrooms and the bedroom underneath. And what happened is slowly the, the, the kind of the sewage pipe coming off the back of the toilet had dripped into a cavity, and, and the, cavity, the wall had eventually fallen in onto a bed next to where somebody was sleeping. It was very dramatic. And I uh, see Christian conferences are just full of drama. It's very exciting. But the thing is, this place is so big that the bathroom that had created the issue was actually a long way away from the bedroom. To get to just above, you had to walk along the hallway for a couple of minutes and then go up a flight of stairs and then walk along another hallway. And, it was a, and then you would find the bathroom in question. So we put a sign on the bathroom, please do not use, while we tried to fix the underneath. And we'd connected everything and we had this. Uh, and those of you who are in construction are listening to me now going, this guy does not know anything about construction. And you would be right, which is why I fit in really well to the standard of this place, because we were just kind of making this up as we were going along. It was brilliant. So eventually, I got to the place where I was holding the, the pipe that ran about 15 foot away to the 
toilet. I was holding this pipe. We had it all connected, and my friend was screwing it into one of the joists. And it was fine. It was a brilliant idea until I heard down the pipe somebody going into the washroom. I'm holding the pipe, and I'm listening to the activity, no word of a lie, of what was going on at the end of the pipe in the bathroom. I yelled at my friend, run, stop them using. I thought you locked the door. I did lock the door. No, you didn't. Run, please, quickly, dear Jesus. I'm holding it. So as he runs off, I do what would any normal human being would do. I yell down the pipe. Don't use the toilet. Now just put yourself in the position of this dear lady who is in the bathroom, hearing quiet voices emerging out of the toilet. And I did actually hear her stop the activity. My friend, I'm yelling down this pipe. My friend eventually gets to the bathroom, knocks on the door in time for her not to flush the toilet. And I've often reflected back on this story. What would it have been like if you had been that person hearing quiet voices emerging from a bathroom giving you direction? That would be a very strange, unusual, I hope, activity and and also occurrence. But then I also think that would be kind of cool. Wouldn't it be nice if when you faced a decision you could be assured that there would be a voice, not necessarily out of the toilet, a voice giving you direction. Now, as Christians, we would say that we have that voice, and we're going to expand on that a little bit this morning. But all of you need great wisdom. All of you need this voice, if you will. So why do we need such great wisdom? In verse 22, it says, But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Solomon was faced with a clear decision. This way or this way. No one was deciding for him. He was king. All eyes on King Solomon. What is he going to decide? What is he going to do? See, it used to be, not so long, even about a generation and a half ago, where you didn't get to decide the big things in life. You didn't get to decide who it was that you married, that there would be kind of an organization around the scenes as to making sure that you married the right person. You didn't get to decide what job to take because you just did as as what your mom or your dad said you did, or what friends you had, or where you went. Now, some of you will, will remember that time. Others of you think I'm quite mad to actually do what your mum and dad say you should do. The horror of it. And some days I just wish we could go back to those kind of generations, especially having four children. All the parents said, amen. And all the children go, hmm. But there is these myriads of decisions that we now have that are presented to us where family members or people around us haven't got that authority to tell us what to do. And yet we need 
this wisdom so desperately in our culture. How should we parent? How should we run business? How should we run our family? How should we run our lives? These decisions are not made for us. The options are vast. But with Solomon, there are no rules for him to follow. He cannot flick through the word of God and see, okay, let's look up P for prostitute. Okay, in the concordance, no, there's nothing there. What about baby? De- de- no, there's nothing there. There's, there's no rule for Solomon to follow. He is on his own. And I wonder how many of you have been in a situation where you have a choice to go this way or this way, and there are no rules. There's nobody telling you which way you should go. Lots of people with opinions, but nobody of authority in your life that you're just going to obey. But you still have to make that decision. I remember nearly 14 years ago, I was a teacher and I was 29 years old and I'd just been offered an administration role in a brand new school. It was very exciting and, and there had been this talk about I was on a particular course, I'd just done my master's and, and there was this like, you, you're going to get promoted, you'll be a principal within a couple of three years and it was all very exciting yet inside I knew that that is not the way I should go and people around me were saying you're mad, why wouldn't you take this job? Because we'd heard a whisper, Canada and it was just there, there was nothing that I'd been offered from Canada, we just knew there's Canada and I turned it down and and you know it wasn't an easy because later on the first option we actually had was was taking uh, or or at least um, candidating for a pastoral job in Fort St. John. Now if you ever need to hear from a God (laughs) it's about taking a pastor's job in Fort St. John. I didn't take that job. I ended up going into uh, education in, in Vancouver but you need the voice of God. Which way? There's no rules. There are no rules to tell you who you should marry. There are no rules on how you should bring up your children. Grandparents, I speak to you specifically now. There has never been a time when the grandparents' role in a family is more important and more intrinsic. You are not on the outskirts of responsibility just enjoying giving candy to your kids and making them really lively and then giving them back. I have a friend who travels around the world giving parenting seminars. He's in his mid-60s and he was telling me the other day that now he's actually being asked to go into churches specifically for grandparenting seminars because grandparents are bringing up the children of their kids who are now out of the picture. We need wisdom, do we not? In our present culture we need wisdom and there are no rules that we can follow. Number two Wherefore, where do we get our wisdom? First Kings 3, 22 to 27. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. Now the king does something that is a bit of a curveball. Does he not? So the king said, Bring me a sword. Can you imagine everybody just leaning in? Oh, this is going to get good. I didn't predict this. I didn't see this one coming. Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh my Lord, give her the living child. And by no means put him to death. 
And the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. See, the sword was not about the actual bringing the justice upon the child. The sword highlighted the motivations of the two ladies who were stood before the king. It's brilliant. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. See, wisdom was sought from the king. Wisdom was sought from the king. Biblically, kings, and even historically, people would go to kings in order to gain wisdom. And can I say, please hear me, we still do that today. We still do it today. Now you might be going, hang on a second. I don't remember the last time I sat down for coffee with Queen Elizabeth II and asked her about advice on how to bring up my teenage daughter. And I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about are those kings and queens that you have in your life that you go to for wisdom. Because a king at that time was a ruling power. And you have kings and queens who are ruling powers in your life. Now for those men in the room that are perhaps thinking about their mother-in-law, I'm not talking about that. Because my mum-in-law arrives tomorrow and I'm sure she'll hear this sermon. I love you very much, mum-in-law. I'm not talking about physical people. Ruling powers that are in your lives. Kings at that time had authority. What king or queen has authority in your life? See, the king or queen at that time were held in high regard. And you have kings who you hold in high regard. We still go to kings for wisdom. What is it you hold dear? What is it that you see as ultimate? What is it real Listen to me, what is the real ruling power in your life? What is of ultimate value? What is the most precious? What is it that you seek after? Because it is from that that you will gain your wisdom. Let me, let me quickly explain. If your ultimate is making money, then you will gain wisdom called money. If your ultimate is success then you will get success, wisdom. You will make a decision on the back of that which will give you most success. Does that make sense? If your ultimate is relationship, and you have to have acceptance and relationship, then the decisions that you make will be dictated by that king or queen. Because you will want to get more of it. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, in the first part, it says there, very common verse, the fear or reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, wisdom is determined by your Lord. It begins at the Lord, not just the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, which is what the context of this scripture is, but what is the King, what is the Lord that you fear and revere so much so that you are, your life is dictated by it? It dictates your decisions and your direction. Because the wisdom, the word for wisdom in Hebrew is actually a word that is connected to authority or training. Think about that yoke that was placed upon oxen in, in, for plowing. It's wherever the yoke turns, you will follow. That's the same word for wisdom. So I, I need to give you a little gentle, loving, pastoral warning. This is going to hurt a little bit. But then we're going to do some work at the end because it gets good at the end. 
So let me ask you, what is it that really is the most important thing in your life? And you know what? If we put our hands on our spiritual hearts and we spend time before the Lord, can we honestly say that the most important thing in our lives, Christians, is the King of Kings and Jesus? What really is the Lord whose authority you're under? What is it you feel like you have to have? You must have. That is your king. That is where you're going to gain wisdom. What is it you are yoked to? Because if it's money, then you are going to make decisions based on what gets you more money. If it's your job, then you are going to make decisions on what brings you the most success in your job. Maybe at an early age, you had very little money. Maybe you literally lived hand to mouth and your parents struggled constantly financially and somewhere in your brain you developed this paradigm that said, I am never going to live like this. And you developed this ability, you developed this thinking that made money ultimate. And then we live in a culture, this is why we need wisdom, we live in a culture that says money is power. You have that car, you have that house, you live in this place, you have that status, then you will get all your dreams fulfilled. So what does that look like? If you're offered a job and you would get a big increase in money, then you will take that job even though it means it's an unwise decision and the effect that it might have on your family and on your health and on your, on your life balance because money is your king. Are you with me? It might be acceptance. That you have to be accepted. So especially young people, they're surrounded by tribes that they want to be part of. This is why social media is so important because social media is the fuel that enables this feeling of wanting to be accepted. Because look at how popular I am. Look at my partying. Look at how cool I am. Look at all the selfies that I take. Look at how beautiful. Please accept me. Please accept me. Please accept me. If that is your king then you will make decisions based on what brings you the most acceptance and what brings you the most popularity. Parents, grandparents, please make sure you are not growing up little kings and queens. I feel like I've said this before, that I am fairly qualified to be able to speak to this, having four children from the ages of 22 down to 11 Kings and queens, that if your ultimate is keeping them happy, you will make decisions on the back of that rather than what is the wisest in seeing them grow up healthy, whole, and thriving. Parents, be parents, not friends. Sometimes they don't, they're not compatible. Trust me, I know, I've tried both. And I've got stories I could tell you about both. And some of you are itching saying, yes, amen, I know, he's right. If you make that king or queen, that little one, your ultimate, as you will see in a minute, it will fail you. We need to be very careful what we develop and where we get our wisdom from. Because the wisest choice may not necessarily be to do that which you think They want all the time. It came as a bit of a shock to me when I realized that I've got two girls and two boys. It came as a shock to me that I was not actually rearing children that would end up playing for Manchester United. 
It was a shock for me. I actually realized that my son was not going to be David Beckham. And letting go of that, and you might go, this is really strange, but just think about the culture we live in. We've got to give them everything when they want it, as often as they want it, no matter what time it is in the morning, and no matter how much church or Christianity they miss out on. Just dig a little more, because this may cause some of you to really consider and go before the Lord and, and ask. That's all I'm asking. As many times, young people may stray especially as young adults, away from Jesus. And you know what? You could have brought them up in the most godly way and they may still stray. And I don't get it. But then there are also many families that I speak to who don't understand why their children are completely uninterested in church and Christianity. And so the question that I ask may not sound like this, but this is what's going through my mind. I will ask a question that will be basically to identify what was king in your house. What was king? Did your Sunday morning sometimes go like this? So, honey, are we, are we going to go to church today? Well, it's been a busy week and it's really hot outside. Maybe we should go on the lake and it is nearly summer. We need to get, it is nearly the end of summer. We need to get everything that we can out of summer and, uh, and you know, maybe we should just do it next week. But, and then maybe... Maybe, you know, somebody will say, well, I, I'll go. Well, well why, why would you just go by yourself? Well, I'm the pastor. I, I have to go. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, I'm only joking. That hasn't, that hasn't happened this week. Um, but what priorities? What's king? What tribe are you part of? What throne are you bowing down to? Your children are watching. Your grandchildren are watching. Let's make sure that we go to the correct place for our wisdom because your king will determine your decisions. The structure of wisdom is whatever your king is, whatever the yoke is, whatever you have given yourself to will be the thing from which all your wisdom derives. And it will, in the end, lead you to losing the thing that you are grasping for. Let me show you, number three, what king should we turn to in order to gain in the end? What king should we turn to so that we're not actually going to lose the very thing that we're grasping for? Verse 26, then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Now, please listen, we're coming to the end now, and so I need to make sure you're all still with me, because this is important. If you make something other than Jesus your king, money, job, children, looks, acceptance, reputation, success, if you make that your king, the very thing that you are grasping for, you will lose. See, that's what happened to the second lady. She was grasping for parenthood. She was grasping for this child, and she lost it. However, the real mum was willing to let go of the thing that she wanted the most, and by doing so, gained it. Do you see that? Her submission willingly before the throne of the king meant that she actually got the very thing in the end. If you make children center, you may well lose them. 
You make your job center, then you will actually become less able to do your job effectively because you're lacking life balance. You make money center, it changes you from within. And you will lose the very thing that you are hoping to gain, which is joy and fulfillment and peace. You'll lose it. See, in Matthew 16, verse 25, Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you make that relationship, and I need to be careful how I speak to this, because singleness, the Bible says, is a gift. It is not an easy place to be. And if you're married, especially if you're a young adult and you just got married and you see your friends around you are not yet married, please be careful how you encourage them. Well, somebody will come along eventually. Well, thank you. That's very helpful. Plenty of fish in the sea. Don't want to date a fish. What are you talking about? You know, well, God's got a plan. Well, I'm struggling in his plan. Help me out here. Singleness is tough, and you may be desperate to be married. Singleness is a gift, and some of you are going, I ain't got that gift. It's tough, but can I tell you, if you make that your king, if you make being in a relationship your king, if you make the boy or the girl your king or your queen, then it will not end well. Because Jesus himself says you can't serve two masters. And you will actually start breaking the relationship up before it starts because the relationship will not be able to cope with you worshipping them as king. And it will fracture and break. So in the midst of the pain, just like this mum, her willingness to let go. Because if you do not, then life itself seems to disappear. Anxiety caves in. Peace disappears. Life disappears. The thing that you are seeking the most as you grasp for it, you won't gain. See, there's a better way to live. And nowhere in this account does it say that it was an easy decision for the mum to say, no, let the child live. I'll take the pain. Let the child live. How is that an easy decision? But she does so with no resentment. She submits, and you now you're starting to hear, hopefully, the way that this story points to the gospel. She is willing to submit to the authority of the throne, even though it means that she has to let go of that which is most dear to her, because she recognizes that the throne's authority is higher than hers. So as we struggle... As we struggle with our parenting, as we struggle with our finances, as we struggle with our relationships, nowhere in the Bible does it say by letting go it gets easy. But by letting go and submitting ourselves to a higher authority, and can I just say this as an aside, but an important aside, as you submit your life to Jesus, you'll never lose him. Because if we're truly honest... Is it not that we are absolutely terrified of losing the thing that we're grasping for? Terrified of losing my kids. I want to do everything I can. I'm terrified of of not having money. Terrified of, maybe these are the thoughts that are going through your mind. Terrified of not being a success. 
And, it, and you're terrified of losing it, so you grasp at it. Whereas the king, the king of kings, the one who is sat on the throne, the one whom Solomon is a picture of, the fact that Solomon is willing to be in the presence of two prostitutes is astounding for an eastern king. He wants to be alongside them. He wants to hear from them, just like God wants to hear from us as sinners. But you will never lose him. The thing that you are grasping for, the king or the queen in your life, will not forgive you, will not make the shame disappear, will not take away the resentment and bitterness you might be struggling with. But King Jesus will. And you know what is most beautiful to me in this story? Is this mum basically said this. Give me the pain. Let that child be pain free. Give, ruin me. Don't ruin him. Give me the pain, not them. Take my life away, as it were, not his. Does that not remind you of someone else who stands before his father's throne and said in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any other way, can it be that that I don't have to die, then that would be great, Dad. But not my will, your will. Give me the pain, not them. I will take the punishment for the sin that they have committed, not them. Take my life, not their life. And that... Reminds me of Jesus because we have a sword. One commentator said this, I read and I like this. We have a sword of judgment over our lives. And King Jesus said, give me the sword. And as we sacrifice and let go in order to gain the King Jesus who will always be there and always will forgive, then something beautiful floods into our lives as we bow and confess and ask for forgiveness before the one who took the punishment that you and I deserve for the sins that we willingly commit. As we confess that, the Bible says that our sin is applied to his life and he takes that punishment and it dies with him, but then the next next part, his righteousness, his gift, his life comes into us and that's where wisdom begins. Where you can go to the king, where you have this sense of, do I take this administration job or do I go to Canada? So you do get a small voice living, ever present inside of you. And there will be times when you will be struggling, Christians, do I go this way or do I go that way? But here's the beautiful thing about submitting to King Jesus. Listen, you can say this, Lord, I feel like this is what I should do. This is what I'm believing. I feel peace about that. I've prayed about it. I've sought your word. I've asked good friends, not just people who are going to agree with me all the time. I feel like this is where you're directing me, so this is the way I'm going to go. But if I'm wrong then I'm okay with that because your plan is greater than my plan. So we can go this direction and it be the right direction and we can go, great! Or we can go this direction and it be a horrible direction and we can go, great! (laughs) Because we win both ways and we learn and we grow in both ways. So there is, as I conclude, something that has meaning in your life. 
And if you want that wisdom, and you don't want to lose the very thing that you're grasping for, because by the way, that list of things that I shared for you, job, success, money, children, acceptance, all those things are good things. There's nothing evil about any of them unless you make them ultimate. God will say, you can have those things. As you come before my throne, they will actually become better. You won't lose them. And even if your children do stray, I'm still in control. See, Jesus has to be the main thing that you bring everything else in alignment to it with. In Colossians 1 verse 9, it says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As we incline our ear to the word of the king through his word, the Bible, and the Bible says it will transform your thinking, you will just know the will of God. Do you press in? Do you saturate your thinking with the word of God? Because wisdom comes from the king. And after all, is he not the most wise and the most experienced? He knows the beginning to end. He's, he's seen it all happen before. And he's like, just come. Come with your burdens. Come with your questions. Come with your confusion and anxieties. Let's, let's talk. Let's reason together. Let me show you how you should live and live well. But it all starts with submitting to the king's throne. So in many ways, and I have to be careful how we say this, we are the prostitutes. Coming before the king in our sin, but his acceptance. Come. Come close. You know, and we come with our sin, and even as we're going to worship now as Curtis leads us in worship, that's the time we go, God, I, I come to you broken. I don't know. And he's like, just come close. Let's just confess. Let's talk. I'm so grateful we serve a king like that, King Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it's such a joy to be able to speak your word. I love the Bible. God, as I read it, it reads me. And Lord, I confess that I have kings and queens in my life that I struggle with. And daily, Lord, I, I need to present them to you before your throne and say, help me. Lord, I pray for the parents and grandparents. As we try and figure out this whole thing called parenting. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us alone. You say, just come close, submit, let go. It's going to be okay. Lord, whether it be money or job or success or any of those other things that we tend to make ultimate, Father, forgive us. And Lord, I pray even as we come now, as we worship and we spend the rest of the time together, Lord, Holy Spirit, I'd ask that you would be the one that speaks and convicts and challenges us. That, Father, we, just with a few seconds, silence, God, we, we know what it is that we make ultimate. So, Lord, I pray that in the next few minutes that God would present them to you with open hands. And say, Lord, take it. Take it so that I might gain you, Jesus. Lord, bless these people. Thank you for this church family. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen.